and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. I'm your host, James Copley, filling in for Richard Minnie today. I'm joined as ever by Phil Smith. Good morning. And we've got a very special guest today, former Sunderland defender Danny Collins. How are you doing? Great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not Good. too bad. So we'll get stuck into the nitty-gritty of it. Sunderland didn't have a game at the weekend, so we're still kind of analysing that um, Burton defeat. Phil... What do you make of uh, Sunderland's situation at the moment? I know you wrote a, a piece today on the underlying underlying stats behind uh, Sunderland under Phil Parkinson. Yeah, I think it, w- it was. I think there were a couple of big games for that reason. That obviously they'd been through a really poor run of form, but because they'd been mostly cup games um, and there'd been a lot of changes to the side, I think people were kind of saying, "Well, okay, fair enough. We'll wait and see." how they perform kind of when the pressure's on, if you like. So I think those Coventry and Burton games were always going to be really important for for Phil Parkinson. And unfortunately, the things that we were concerned about during that run of poor form in the Cup games was was there again. And I suppose the big concern for Phil Parkinson, and we all know how much he's looking forward to getting to January, but the, the major concern for him will, will not just be, you know, that the, the fans aren't kind of taking to him. It's that the performances seem to be getting worse at the moment rather than better. It's It's... The, the longer things go on, they seem to be making more errors in defence and they seem to be struggling more and more. Um, and the Burton game, I think, was an example of that. Certainly the last 20 minutes, it looked like a team that was that was really struggling to, to, to come up with the answers. Um, and that, and that's, yeah, it was it was an absolutely huge concern, to be fair. And, and Danny, just your perspective on what it's like in a dressing room after a defeat um, against a team like Burton when everything's so down and, and, and there doesn't seem to be any hope. What's that like as a player in the dressing room? Yeah, I think after any defeat, you know, you you go into any game and your first thought is, you know, looking to get the three points, and uh, especially with the the expectation on the on the the squad at the minute. Um, you know, two home games as you mentioned, Coventry uh, pick up a point, and then and then to to follow up with the defeat against Burton, you know, one point out of six is, isn't great, and um, you, you could feel the atmosphere in the stadium, you know, certainly towards the end of the game, and and the confidence just looks like it's it's been sapped from the boys at the minute, and. Um, you know, I think having the little break what they've had now, you know, Phil Parkinson, he's came in, he's had a lot of games in a short space of time and he's just had that 10 days now to, to work with the team and to try and get some more ideas into the boys and to try and gain a bit of confidence really behind behind closed doors. And, and uh, you know, only time will tell if, if um, they come out on at the weekend at Gillingham and, and put in a performance. But, you know, if you if you have any defeat, it's it's... You know, you go back in on a Monday morning if you've been beat on a Saturday, and the atmosphere is a bit low. And you know, you, the coaches obviously try and come in with a bit of a spring in their step and try and get the boys going again back out on the training pitch. And you know, certainly over the last few years, even if I've had a def- defeat when I've been down at Grimsby um, as one of the senior boys and the captain, it's it's my job really to to go in, put a smile on the other boys' faces, and tr- try and uh, tr- lift the spirits around the camp and try and get them ready for the next game. You talk about that confidence building process as well. Is is it something that can come very quickly, or is it something that takes a bit of time, or does it all depend on the group? Um, and does it depend on Phil Parkinson's ability to man manage? A bit of everything, really. I think you know only a certain amount of it for me lies with the manager. Um, you know, I've, I've seen Phil's interviews after games at the minute, and he he does look quite down and defeated, if you like, such you know so early on in his his his, his role in the job and. Um, but again, I've mentioned it there. You've got the likes of you know Grant's in there, experience Aidan McGeady, Will Grigg. There's some experienced lads in that changing room, and they have to try and get together as a group. I know it's tough, and um, a big word in football is momentum. And when you when you're winning games, it's easy to come in and you get out on the training pitch. Everyone's laughing and joking, and you just you know you 
going into games confident that you're going to pick up the three points. On the flip side of that, you know, at the minute these boys are probably feeling down, um, perhaps thinking, you know, where's our next three points coming from? Because at the minute, you know, as, as Phil's mentioned, their performances are, have been gradually getting worse. You know, they had the three or four games in the cups where fielded a strongest team. You're looking to try and get a bit. You know, confidence, bit of momentum into the boys, and you know that didn't happen. And then they go into the back-to-back home games in the league, and again, performances weren't great. And you know, picking up one point from six is uh, is not what they're after. Phil, how does Phil Parkinson go about go about lifting this squad? What does he What does he need to do? <laughs> if I knew that, I'd be uh, throwing <laughs> that reference to myself. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think probably I think probably what concerned me a little bit about the Burton game is that. To me, and it's always difficult to know when you're watching a team how much of it is instructions from the manager and how much of it is a group of players who maybe they're a little bit low on confidence and therefore they're doing things they might not normally do if they're kind of bouncing in, into a game, if you like. But to me, even in the first half when I thought someone played okay, you know, you've seen a lot of long balls going up to Will Grigg and there's two things to that. One, to me, Will Grigg isn't the kind of striker who seems to thrive on that kind of service, not to me anyway. And secondly... If you want to play that way, I think that's that's fair enough. A lot of managers have had an awful lot of success playing that way. But I don't see people getting around him. He seems very isolated, isolated to me. Yeah. I, I, I don't see people, other than one or two moments when, when Duncan Watmore is making the run beyond him for the flick on, you're thinking, OK, I can see how that might work. I don't really see midfielders getting up alongside Will Grigg to try and kind of feed off that service. So it's really difficult to know how much of how much of it is, is, is the game plan from the manager and how much of it is players who maybe aren't feeling a lot of confidence who are taking the easy option if you like to play a ball up to Will it's it's impossible to know that but at the moment it seems to me that we have a squad that is really not suited to the way that, that the manager seems to want to play and that's a massive concern because it's not easy to go out and get players in January I mean how many times have we sat here at Sunderland and going oh this January window is huge it seems to be a little bit of a recurring theme and the reality is it's it's there's a reason why the clubs who are successful generally only do a tiny bit of business in January because it's not easy to go out and get the players that you want. So it's a it's a big concern, and, and you know if if Phil Parkinson's still a manager in January, which it looks like he will be, it's not going to be easy for him to get that caliber of player he needs. And if he isn't able to do that, then someone's going to have to give because at the moment this group of players doesn't look like he'll be able to play necessarily in the ways maybe had success at other clubs with those kind of physical forwards, that real intensity. Um, and and I think players, you know, you look at players like Aidan McGeady, whatever we thought of, people thought of Jack Ross or whatever, he found a way to play that that heightened the strengths of those players and maybe hid the weaknesses a little bit. And at the moment, we're not we're not seeing that. Certainly not with the forward players. So it's clearly confidence is a massive thing. But I, I suspect Phil will have been will have gone away and had to have a look at the way he does things because that Burton game will have clearly shown to him that. You know, a lot, a lot of the ideas he's trying to put in at the moment with this group of players and where they're at, it just isn't quite working. Is it fair to say that Phil Parkinson's inherited a club who are very much experiencing a, an extreme hangover from the double Wembley disappointment last season, and <clears throat> the task of lifting that group was always going to be very difficult after a well-liked manager within the group, Jack Ross, left. Um. <sighs> I think I think Danny will be it'll be it'll be best place to talk this in the sense that I think certainly you look at some of the changes over the summer there was some big characters left that dressing room um, and I, I remember John McLaughlin mentioning it at the start of the season he didn't necessarily mention it as a negative but you lose players like Lee Catamull and George Honeyman from a dressing room and okay George was a young young lad but 
pretty much from when he came into the team he was someone who would who would you know he wouldn't wouldn't be scared of having a few words yeah, and um, yeah. I, I remember Simon Grayson after Sun lost five two at Ipswich quite early down in his reign. I remember him coming in and saying, you know, he was pleased to see there was a youngster who just called out a few more senior figures and, you know, looking at the team sheet was fairly easy to work out that it had been George who'd been doing that. And so I think some big characters have left the group and I'm sure that's made an impact, but it's it's concerning to see that kind of last 20 minutes against Burton, it, whether it's a confidence thing or, or, or what, is the team look very short of ideas. Um, and the manager's... It's a tricky one because earlier in the season when, when the kind of prevailing mood was that this was a team that was good enough to be in the top two, I kind of always went against that because I think a lot of other teams have got some really good players as well and you look at the the, the money that the likes of Peterborough invested. Having said that, they're certainly a lot better than what we've seen of late. So I think it's a little bit in the middle. I, I don't think it was ever a team that was going to absolutely dominate the league this season and I think those characters that have gone from the dressing room have been a big miss. But also... There's no disguise in the fact that they were a lot better than what we've seen over the last three to four weeks. Sutherland's business in the transfer window, Danny, especially defenders. Jordan Willis looked at a shrewd sign and um, seems pretty solid. Joel Lynch as well, championship experience, two centre backs, and it just hasn't seemed hasn't seemed to gel the defence for Sunderland yet. No, no, I think I, looking if you're looking at the squad overall at the minute, I think I think Jordan's. Because obviously, when I'm going to the games, it's my position really. So I've looked at him, and I think Jordan overall this season has been pretty steady. I think uh, I spoke to him actually after the Coventry game, um, and he's carrying. He's had a bit of a knock on his knee. Obviously, I think he's he, he came off the knee in the yeah. came yeah. off in the Coventry game. I think yeah, so he's he's got a bit of a bad knee. Um, so this break will have helped him out. And you know, as you mentioned there, um, Joel Lynch coming down. He's had good experience, you know, playing for Forest, Huddersfield, um, you know, Queens Park Rangers at a higher level than this, and. When he did first, when he first came in, I thought he looked steady, and the two of them looked pretty good together. And just over the last couple of weeks, they've they've looked a bit edgy. And I think, especially um, Lynch after the after the second one, when in the other night he had a little five minute spell where his head went a bit. To be fair to him, but um, as a defender, you know when when the lads up the other end, I'm not obviously passing the blame onto the lads up the other end of the pitch, but. Defensively, you gain confidence when you know that the lads up the other end of the pitch are producing the goods as well, and it takes that little bit of pressure off you at the back. Um, whereas I've played in, you know, teams at last season. I think we had a seven-game spell where we didn't score a goal at the other end of the pitch. So as a defender, you're, you're thinking we've got to keep a clean sheet here because we know we're not doing the doing the goods at the other end of the pitch. But it's not just the, you know, the lads at the back. I think if you're looking through the team at the minute, there's not too many in that squad who can argue if they weren't out on the pitch on a, you know, if they don't get the shirt on a Saturday, there's not too many who've come in since Phil Parkinson's come in and said, I'm going to stake a claim regularly for a, for a shirt week in, week out at the minute. You look at Luke 09, perhaps, I know, you know, fans are obviously raving about him and he brings good energy to the team. And um, just going back to Phil's point in terms of, you know, the midfielders, I think they're all like for like for me. I think, you know, Grant's steady in front of the back four he'll tick things over but Grant needs legs in front of him now but for me whether it's McGeo, Power or Dobson I don't see any of them three as a box-to-box midfielder who are getting up and supporting Will Grigg you know so for me that's something Phil Parkinson's going to have to look at in January to try and bring some good energy and some legs into the middle of the park um, and again you know your point on Will Grigg he looks isolated at times he does yeah you know balls are going up to him he's you know, fight balls with six foot two plus centre halves. Uh, you know, I could still go out there now and I fancy myself, uh, you know, to have a, a good game against him. With you know, with, with the service he's getting, but at the same time, has his body language been, you know, 
positive throughout the games. Not really for me. Uh, he can do a bit more, and I know his game is balls in and around the box. And is the service into him good enough at the minute? Probably not. So there's a lot of issues to be addressed over the next few weeks, and you know a, a corner needs turning sharp. Interested to hear your thoughts on left back as well, because Sunderland went from Brian Oviedo, who you can argue had to go because of the wages and, and yeah. such like, and maybe wasn't performing as an international right-back should in League One, but we let Rhys James go, um, I think just about broke even. But then we've, we've promoted Denver Hume, Denver Hume, sorry, which is fair enough, but Lawrence Debock hasn't really got good in a Sunderland shirt yet. He's He only played a handful of times for Leeds in the Championship. They weren't that impressed with him. So have Sunderland weakened in, in that key area? Probably, yeah. But obviously going back to Denver, um, I think at the start of the season, you know, Jack Ross obviously tried the three-five-two, and Denver was in the left wing back role, which is it's a tough role. The baptism of fire, isn't it? Correct, yeah. So he's a young lad, you know. He's just making his way into the first team. Big expectations on him to produce this year, um, and it's a tough role for him to learn out there. I think since then, obviously, they've gone back to a four at the back, and he looks a bit more settled in a in a left back role. And I think he's obviously his. his positive side of his game is getting forward and he looks comfortable driving forward with the ball at times he's linked up quite well with McGeady you know he's put a few balls in which have resulted in goals I think Luke O'Nine scored ahead of the other week was against Southend um, just obviously defensively he's got to learn that side of the game and he's only going to do that by playing games and, and gaining more experience um, but yeah as you mentioned you know Oviedo leaving um, you know was a, certainly for League One level you know he's a different class you know and obviously the wages were a big factor in that so he had to leave um, mentioning De Bock, I haven't seen too much of him. I did see he had a tough time in the Lincoln game. Mm. Um, you know, he got turned three or four times, then gave the penalty away, then, then got dragged by Jack Ross. And um, I think I seen him play the other week in the the EFL game, might have been against Leicester. Again, didn't really impress that much. I think out of the two at the minute, I'd, I'd stick with Denver Hume. Um, so yeah, in terms of going from last season into this maybe they're not as strong as what they were last season but certainly the squad is a better squad than what they're producing at the minute Phil would you agree with that? Yeah definitely I mean I think Denver um, I've got a, I really enjoy watching Denver play especially going forward yeah. I think I think he brings something a bit, a bit different and we've seen that in recent weeks especially in a team that has looked quite one dimensional at yeah. times he, the, the way he can run with the ball it can open the pitch up a little bit and especially at home I think that's going to be a really effective weapon I think defensively he's still a little bit raw. Um, yeah. I think that you can kind of—I don't know what Danny thinks about this. To me, you can kind of tell he's not played much senior football before. He's a player yeah, who probably, never had yeah. a long move at you know seventeen, eighteen, yes, nineteen, yeah. which maybe would have benefited him in terms of yeah. kind of smoothing out those rougher edges as defending. There are times if he's playing against a really physical player, yeah. you can tell it's a, it's a bit of a new experience for him. But as you said, the only way he's going to learn that is from playing and. I think his contribution at times this season has been really good. There's been times where defensively, like I say, he's looked a little bit exposed. That's, I think, to be expected. I, look, I, I said at the time when they sold Reese James, I thought that was quite an odd decision. Um, I thought Reese was very, very steady last year. To a divisional rival as well. Yeah, but I, I think more, more so than anything, if you if you look back last season when Sunderland were, were winning games, Reese James was playing in a lot of them. When they won the when they went on that kind of nine ten game winning run in the start the winter Reese was the first choice left back I'm, I'm not saying he was you know amazing or anything like that but he was really 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 dependable um, and it's not a great look you know obviously Reese left in I think it was I think he was the first player of the summer actually to leave the football club and obviously Lawrence Debott came in on deadline day so that tells you that the kind of the strategy there wasn't particularly good because you know if you're going to let an important part of your squad go 
if it takes you until deadline day to replace him and you bring in someone who's really short of match fitness. And the Lincoln game is a great example of that because Debock looked all right in the first half. Then you could tell he was playing against a player a winger with a bit of speed and legs and he, and he kind of blew up a little bit. So that to me is just, it's an area where I think for me it's exciting to have a good prospect coming through from the academy and I think Denver will be a really good player for Sunderland but it kind of does reflect some fairly poor strategy in the transfer market if you like that he probably hasn't got that more senior player who every now and then can take a bit of the pressure off him. It's an interesting point that Danny as a player if if you were signed on deadline day or towards deadline day is there a part of you that kind of thinks you know there wasn't any long-term strategy I'm a bit of an afterthought here or does it depend on the club that you leave and are you happy to go? Do you know you need the experience? Yeah. A bit of both, really. I think the time I left Sunderland, I went to Stoke and it was on the, the end of August on the deadline day window. But, you know, a lot of managers tend to do this business. You know, they're trying to get a quick deal sorted or, or whatever. And as you say, things change and a player's out and they have a bit of a panic up and we need to get a quick replacement in, which I'm not saying that's the case with the Bock. But, you know, from looking from the outside, I think if you look... You know, uh, Phil's mentioned there. He, he played a handful of games. If that for Leeds, didn't he? So, mm. you know, are they actually getting an experienced lad in to to uh, replace Oviedo and to help Denver Hume, you know, gain experience and you know to help him along his way? But um, elsewhere on on the other side of the pitch, I think obviously Conor McLaughlin came in as well, and you know he's been in and out of the side really. And you know, Luke O'Nine keeps getting shunted back to right back, mm. and I think they lose his energy higher up the pitch. So obviously they're not too. They haven't been too impressed with with him at right back. I'm guessing so. It's just trying to trying to get a few things sorted. And um, you know, when you're not winning games of football, you never really have a settled team. You know, the manager's always prodding yeah. and trying different formations and personnel to try and get it right. And um, when you are winning games, the team near enough picks itself at times. Albeit lads might pick up the odd niggle and he has to replace. But uh, I can imagine you know Phil's down at the training ground this week and he's been trying one or two different things out on the on his tactics board and. You know, out on the training pitch and just trying to trying to put things in the right direction. The, the conundrum of Will Grigg, Phil. I, don't, I think we we'll talk about this every week that we're on the pod. But the um, the FA are running like a, a Twitter advent calendar of famous goals in the FA Cup. And Will Griggs a couple of seasons ago for Wigan against Man City when they when they performed a, another giant killing came on and he picks up the ball and he runs and he he finishes past a pretty good Man City team. Where where is that Will Grigg that that we would signed? Well, I don't see too many good through balls to his feet when he makes a run off the shoulder from this Sunderland team for quite a long time. You know, if you could go back and look at the goal he scored in the Czech Trade Trophy semi-final at Bristol Rovers, it's a brilliant goal. Throw-in comes in, Max Power plays a really good early ball into his feet, he turns and he fires it in on, off his wrong foot. So we have seen it at Sunderland. It's it's not like he's been a a, a complete write-off since he's come in, not at all. Um you know, it, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a chicken in the egg scenario. Danny mentioned before about his body language, and there are definitely times when you can get frustrated because he doesn't seem to have that aggression in his game. At the same time, I think you can understand that part of that is a frustration with the service he's getting. So it's kind of like one; it's almost like a, a yeah, cycle. It's yeah. just kind of going round and round with him. Um, look, in, in my opinion, can will do a lot more. Yeah, but are you ever going to see the best of Will Greg playing the way? you did against Burton for me not absolutely no chance um, and as Danny mentioned before about that kind of lack of a box to box midfielder if you like and for me it's it's definitely an issue we don't seem to be getting midfielders in the final third around the edge of the box who can play those little passes that, that Will thrives on when he can kind of find space in the box and get a shot away that's that's what he seems to thrive on and 
he's not getting that at the moment, which then seems to be leading to this. You can see in his game that he's just straight. You can see he doesn't feel like he's in it. He doesn't just feel confidence. Strikers, you know, yeah. as, as a defender, you're getting confidence. You get clean sheet after clean sheet. You build your confidence at the other end of the pitch. I think as a striker, you know, if he gets one, then he gets another one. The next, just his confidence, it grows. As, and when he's not scoring goals, you know, he's scrambling around. Where am I getting my next goal from? Mm. And as you say. If the service isn't great to him and he's feeding on scraps and he's competing with two six foot three centre halves with balls round his neck, then you know it's not going to bring his confidence on either. No, a bit a bit of Sunderland news. Andrew Taylor is in line to join Phil Parkinson's coaching staff at Sunderland. Former Middlesbrough defender Hartlepool born, uh, thirty three years old, helped Bolton to promotion. Before Phil Parkinson obviously knows him and rates him, Phil, what do you make of that decision? It clearly indicates that the the board are going to stick with Phil Parkinson for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, I think it's fair fair to assume that. Um, I think it's probably it's probably a sound move to get somebody who has played in the game until very recently. I think it's good to have that kind of fresh voice, someone who will have a really good understanding of what a modern day dressing room is like. What yeah. you know, he'll be playing with with players of that generation until recently so I think it's good to get a voice in obviously I don't know a huge amount about Andrew's a coach or anything like that so it's very difficult to make a judgement on that but yeah I think look it, it's, it, it looks fairly clear to me that, that, that the board are going to gonna give Phil a January window to turn, turn, try and turn things around like I say I, I think that window will be very difficult for Sunderland because I lose you know certainly ever since I started this job and then from years following Sunderland before every January window seems to be huge and there's only been one or two where it's actually kind of you know really worked out so I always get a little bit concerned when we get to this type of year and we say oh four or five players in January will turn things around um the, the Allardyce January sticks out as a, a particularly good one doesn't it yeah there was there was that one and look let's be honest we all Sam had his contacts in the game um he knew how to bring in those kind of players yeah. who could make a difference Obviously, the other one was was Roy brought in a, a, a yeah, bunch yeah, of players who, who, who made a huge man. difference. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah. sometimes works. Obviously, for us, it did that time. You know, that's probably a one in ten situation yeah. where it does work. You know, obviously brought the Irish boys in and Johnny Evans, Danny Simpson. He brought a few in, and we hit the ground running. Didn't we after a bad start, and but just looking in this window coming up now, what type of caliber player is Phil going to be looking to get? I think if you're looking higher up, championship wise, you're going to get lads who have perhaps been sat on the bench mm-hmm. who, who aren't getting a regular game at their club if he looks to get these lads in on loan and are they fully match fit ready to go straight in and play if you're looking at League 1 or even League 2 lads who have been doing well I guess that they're going to be paying money for lads and when a club like Sunderland comes knocking for League 1 or 2 they'll throw a few more quid on the uh, the asking price as well so it's uh, as you say it's an interesting window coming up and, and one January caveat as well is the future of Young Benji Kimioka, there's been several reports out in the last couple of days um, stating that several European clubs are, are eyeing a bid in January. Obviously, he's out of contract in the summer, so presumably he wouldn't be that hard to get, Phil. What do you make of that particular transfer story? Is there, is there any weight to those reports? Well, looks under in a position where they're going to have to make a decision in January. It, there doesn't seem to be any indication that, that Benji's going to sign a contract, so you risk losing him um, on a free in the summer well, Benji's a, a talented young player, and we've seen that he's got something a little bit different about him. Uh, I've interviewed him once or twice. He's a he's a, a nice lad. He's a really humble humble lad. Um, I can't speak for the advice he's getting from people around him. It's impossible to know that. I can understand Sunderland's stance on it from their perspective. They feel they've made a good offer to a young player who, if we're honest, has not achieved a great deal in the game yet. He's he's shown he's got promise and fair play to him for that. 
but we're not talking about a, a Josh Madger who scored however many goals and has made himself an integral part of the first team. Um, I've seen Benji have really good games in the under-23s where you think, wow, this kid's got so much. I've seen him have a lot of games where you're looking for a lot more from him yeah. and, he's, and he's he's missing a little bit from the game. So do I do I think it's it's a situation like last season where you're thinking, oh God, what do we do if Josh Madger goes? Unfortunately for Benji, he, he hasn't put himself in that position. Um, if he he may well decide that it's time for him for a fresh challenge somewhere else and if so you know good luck to him but at, at the moment you kind of think yes and we'll probably have to cash in in January the way that the rules work if he leaves a free on the summer yes you'll get compensation but if he goes abroad the compensation levels are very very low and that's one of the reasons why Sunderland sold Josh Madger last year is yeah. because they knew they had that was their last chance to and we can go over God knows how much we've talked about that decision but anyway um, I think it's a bit different to last year and it's it's one of those where realistically has Benji kind of done enough to make you think well this is someone we've got to keep hold of probably not so if in his head he's decided he's thinking that he wants to take a new challenge then it's one of those where you just kind of say well okay um, and good luck to him but we'll wait and see you never know uh, he's kind of had a bit of a fresh start since Phil Partinson came in maybe that will change his mind a little bit I, I, I don't know and what's a defender's kind of um, view of a player like Benji Kimpiyoka do you, do you think God, he's a nightmare. He's really erratic to play against. Or do you think actually he's probably going to beat himself at some point? No, I mean, he, I was obviously at the um, the Leicester game. He played in the Leicester game, and he looked quite raw that night. Mm. I was on the co-commentary with uh, with Barnsley, and um, you know, it's not as if he's playing against a League One first team. He's up against Leicester's younger lads, and he, he did struggle that night. But then, then a couple of weeks later, you know, he comes on, he gets his chance, he, he grabs the equaliser against Coventry, and. Uh, there must be something there and he must be showing something on the training ground because obviously he's, he's in and around the first team squad and um, again I think he'd probably benefit if they did sign him to, to go out on loan and you know like Elliot did last year like Ethan's doing now uh, get some regular first team football see how he grows you know confidence get himself a few goals and then come back and, and push again for, for a start but at the same time at the minute you know we're hardly blessed with the strikers, you know, free scoring. Uh, I think they've got six goals between the four or five strikers at the minute. So, you know, it's not ideal. So um, he's knocking on the door and he does bring a bit of energy. I think at the minute he's the type of player who I'd bring on. You know, you're looking 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes at the end of the game when it's getting a bit stretched. Defenders are tiring and he's a little jack in the box, isn't he, really? So, but again, it's just getting some service into him in and around the box and, and see what he can do. I think one of the big issues is obviously his agent came out a little while ago and spoke publicly about the situation. and. He kind of suggested that they didn't want Benji to go out on loan. They feel he's ready to play first team football at Sunderland every week, um, and it's one of those where, well, that's your opinion, and yeah. other people will have theirs. And yeah, to, yeah, to me, yeah. I don't think he is ready to do that. And no. when he played against Leicester, to me, it kind of showed he still his understanding of the game. To me, you know, I'm, I'm a rubbish footballer, so I'm not going to judge too harshly. But he doesn't look someone to me like you could hang your hat on week in week out no, to say this guy's yeah. going to bring. Yeah, exactly a consistency of performance and he's going to be able to execute what I want from him as a manager um, and I think that's I can kind of understand Sunderland's stance if if it is you know and age, do agents always reflect their mm. their players thoughts and wishes Yeah, I don't know no. um, but if when you see the agent come out and say that that's to me kind of makes me go oh, okay because to me that's a gap between where the Benji that most of us see, yeah, and and, and that that's not what we're seeing from him week in week out. Yeah, so if yeah. that's if that's where their thinking is, and if that's what they're if they're thinking he's he's good enough to go and play senior football now in somebody's first team, 
well, okay, if he goes and proves it, fair enough. But yeah. to me, he, he doesn't look ready for that. What he does have is he can, as I mentioned, a un- bit unpredictable. And maybe in the last 10, 15 minutes, yeah. if you're playing against tired legs, he can he can do something. And we've seen that. So not an easy one to not an easy one to get the bottom of. And I don't think is recent. It's it's difficult to know how he feels under the new manager. Um, certainly, if you'd asked me two months ago, I would have said he'll be leaving the club because I know those comments he made went down very poorly with Jack Ross who rated him but certainly didn't see him as anywhere near ready to be yeah. considered that kind of player and, and it's funny because he I'm sure Jack would I, I don't want to speak for him but I think he would point to Elliot and say well when I came into the club I thought Elliot was a good young player mm-hmm. but I didn't think he was quite ready Elliot went and proved himself he went and played senior football yeah. took on by all accounts Daniel know a lot better than I do took on a bit of leadership in terms of the way he played in the team and yeah, what yeah, he brought yeah, just in the 10 role yeah, done and, well. and so he came back and, and, and Jack said right well you've you've proven yourself yeah. and I think that's kind of what Benji needs to do yeah. but like I say the comments seem to suggest that he didn't doesn't feel he needs to do that which right. so um, whether that's Benji so as you say if his agent's getting in his head and they don't always give the best yeah. advice I don't think you know I think I've had agents myself who've you know not too many of them I've agreed with over the years but <laughs> he's obviously looking after his personal interests as yeah, well and I think I can make, perhaps make a few quid if I move him on elsewhere but you know, I just think the age he's at now is he not starting regular? Um, could they get him out and get him, you know, 15, 20 games between now and the end of the season somewhere? See how he gets on. He'll grow as a player. You know, you're getting used to playing first team regular football against men. Um, you know, we had the discussion before Elliot Embleton done it, Ethan's doing it at the minute rather than playing Saturday morning football at 23s or 21s on a, on a training pitch with. 20 people watching you know it's a different ball game going out and getting some first team experience and then it'll only bring him on as a player and we'll talk about Elliot Embleton there unfortunately he's got a, a long term injury but he came to Grimsby Town on loan last season when you were there what was he What was he like in the dressing room how was he when he arrived and was he the same player that le- well when he left was he the same player that arrived uh, yeah obviously when he came in a young lad and probably quite nervous and, and quiet and that um, but came out of his shell and, and a good trainer, two good feet. Um, if, if you're asking me what position I think is his best, I'd say in the 10, just behind a striker. Um, you say he manipulates the ball well and created a few goals for us and scored a few good goals as well. And uh, wants to learn the game, he'd stay out after training with a bag of balls, you know, doing extra stuff and that and working free kicks and, and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, you know, he got himself back here, started the first match of the season. He got, he came off after an hour or so, I think. Um, yeah, against Oxford, wasn't Oxford, it? wasn't it? Yeah, so he came off, and then we didn't see him again. I, I spoke to him in between that. I think he came on at Rochdale for two minutes at the end of the game, which was about five games later. And I spoke to him after the game, and he, I just think with Elliot, as, as most young lads will be, confidence player, and from getting the hook after an hour after the first game of the season, and that's not starting or featuring the next four or five. It's only going to drain his confidence a little bit, you know. I think for, for Jack Ross in terms of changing it in that game, so it was an easy target. I think mm. looking to change it, who kind of bring the young lad off, you know, and keeps everyone else happy type of thing but I'm sure you know he's he's picked up the injury at Sheffield United he done it, had his injury so it's going back a couple of months and I think he's not far off getting back out on the training pitch when I spoke to him the other week and again I'm sure he's pushing himself to get ready and he'll want to impress the new manager and you know certainly at the minute there's not too much creative creativity happening in behind Will Grigg and he's certainly one of them players that can do that for the boys I know you're you're a big fan of Embleton Phil aren't you yeah well, I just I I I I think there's lots of different types of like bravery if you like in football one is you you kind of you're putting your body on the line whatever and the other is is always showing for the ball yeah, and, and he'll trying take, he'll take the ball and trying, push, yeah. trying to play a difficult pass that might or might not come off but could potentially 
um, you know, produce a goal for your team. And, yeah. and even in pre-season, I, I really liked the way Elliot went about his business. You could tell he wanted to impress, but at the same time, he wasn't trying too hard to impress. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't trying to play Hollywood passes yeah. for the sake of it. But he, he was always trying to find those those kind of killer passes, if you like, rather than the safe ones where no one's going to berate you because you're not giving the ball away, but actually are you progressing the ball, are you creating a chance? Um, And there was a few times in pre-season where, you know, you could tell Duncan was somebody who was, you could tell was really enjoying because Elliot was always looking to find find him with that little run off the shoulder. And and I just, look, when you have a a player of that age and and also a player of that type, realistic you are going to have games where he's going to be a little bit quiet and it and it takes a, a lot of bravery I think from a manager to kind of stick with that yeah yeah especially game, as, sure. and, and look Sunderland are in a u- unique position because they need to go up this year so they need to win every week and that can make it difficult yeah. to to I think you're always going to be to blood the young lads into yeah the you're always going to yeah. lean towards revert to type get, yeah get of course you are yeah I, th- um, I think you made, you made the points just after Jack Ross had got sacked Phil that w- would he have played Denver Hume as much would he have started Elliot Embleton you yeah, know, in the first game of the season, if he'd have known that he, he might not have been afforded that time, it's a great yeah. example. You look at that first day of the season, and you know Jack plays. He puts Denver in from the start. Admittedly, he didn't have a great deal of options because of the way things panned out in that yeah. area of the pitch. But even so, and he picks Elliot, and and you know it, it can. I think it can be difficult to do that if if you're a manager under pressure. But I think Elliot's got a great chance when he's fit again because I just don't see anybody at the moment in the squad who plays the way he does and does what he does. Um, you know, okay. Someone like Chris McGuire has the capabilities of doing that, sure, but he's not done a lot this season. So there's an opportunity to him. Like I say, he's just a footballer. When I've seen him, I've just enjoyed watching because I, I, I mean, you don't see too many genuinely two foot players yeah, about either. Well, you, and you he, ask him, and I'll say, which is your strongest one? He says, I don't know, because he'll go and take a corner from that <laughs> yeah. side with his left foot, then he'll go to the other side and take one with his right, and he's just as comfy on both feet. And uh, you know, we've not seen too many players like that of late at Sunderland. No. Um, so there is an opportunity for him. Um, and I just I do, I do hope he gets a I hope he gets a proper opportunity and, and you know as Danny mentioned not oh well I gave him five minutes off the bench in that game and yeah. did he come on and do amazingly well no therefore you know um, I do hope he gets a chance in there particularly it, it's one thing if you've got somebody in the team at the moment who's producing loads of chances yeah. and playing that role brilliantly but at the moment I just don't see it so yeah hopefully clearly it's going to take him a little he's, it's going to be quite a long layoff by the time he gets back so it would be something that would take him a little bit of time to get up to speed again but with the way Sunderland are playing at the moment I don't see any reason why you wouldn't give a chance to a player who's who's proven now that he can create chances Another young lad out on loan at Grimsby Town this season Ethan Robson his, he's impressed over there hasn't he I know his contract's up at the end of the season I'm not sure can we bring him back in, in January Phil? Yeah, Is the, yeah, the options yeah, there. yeah. What what's the the talk in Grimsby about Ethan Robson? Has he impressed on there? Yeah, he has. I think. Yeah, I've, I've spoke to a few of the boys. Um, asked about him, and I think he got Player of the Month a couple of months back, October time. I think he done got a few goals. Mm. Um, I think there if you look cracking goals as well. Though, yeah, he did. Yeah, down at Exeter, he got one or two extra actually. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's obviously left left pegger, so something different to what's in the midfield at the minute. I think he's a good size. Um, and it, I think the game I actually watched him in was a couple of seasons ago when they played Wolves at the end of the season in the championship obviously Wolves had won the league and yep. then we beat him 3-0 didn't we that day yeah, yeah. he dominated in the middle of the park that day um, so he's confident on the ball he's got a good range of passing and I think it'll actually suit him the higher up he plays it's, you know, I've mentioned it before it's, it's different football in League 2 I, th- I watched the game they played um, they played Newport on Telly the other week in the FA Cup and it's just 100 mile an hour football and he's, all, you know, he's watching the ball more than it's around his feet like so I think the higher he comes back up, you know, League One Championship and 
the ball's on the deck a bit more and he, he can control the game I think and mm. As, I said, as we said, you know, not too many of them are pulling up trees at the minute. So if there's an option to get him back in in January, I'd, I'd certainly look at it and and why not give him a give him a shot and see how he gets on. Is his contract situation a concern for you, Phil? Um, look, I think realistically, I mean, my, I've said it for a while with Ethan. There's nothing you can do about it now, but you know, Ethan should have been out on loan a, a long time ago. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I think he suffered because of it. But we're a he's situ- had a few injuries as well. He has had a few injuries, start, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think to be fair, for it's been a, it was a massive frustration for Jack Ross because he really did believe in Ethan and he wanted to pick him. He wanted him to play the first game of the season last year. Mm. He wanted him to come back this year and, and get in the squad. And injuries happen, yeah. and it's just one of those cruel things that you can't really do anything about. But I think Ethan is probably approaching an age. Um, Daniel will, will know better than me, but. He's probably approaching an age where he needs to be playing yeah. senior football. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, in terms of his contract, is there much point in him signing up for another year and, and not playing? Mm. Probably not. No. He probably needs to go and play. I'd be really, really disappointed if, for whatever reason, he left Sunderland having never really played much first-team football. Yeah. Um, but from his perspective, I'd be looking at it and saying, well, OK, if come towards the end of the season, I'm still not any nearer to getting a look in and there doesn't seem to be much prospect of me getting a look in, then... I think he's at an age where you kind of maybe would have to say, look, perhaps it's time for me yeah. to go and, and get regular football. Yeah. But as Danny mentioned, look, <laughs> Sunderland's midfielders are not really showing a great deal at the moment. So why wouldn't you take a look as someone who left-footed, got a bit of height about and can get about the pitch? I mean, I, it, it has been a huge frustration. I, I've always I've written about it a few times, but I remember it always stays with me speaking to Ethan after the, the Fulham game, which turned out to be Chris Coleman's last game in charge. And... Sunderland were obviously already relegated then. We didn't really know much about the new owners. So there was a lot of uncertainty at the time and it would have been so easy for a lot of the players to kind of say, oh, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Wait and see. I remember Ethan being so strong. No, whatever happens, I want to play for Sunderland. I want to be one of the the lads who stays and and helps turn Sunderland around. And I thought that was brilliant because it would have been so easy at the time to say, ah, well, we we need to wait and see what happens. And and our, and, he, and look, he had some poor games that season in the championship, which you'd expect from someone thrown in like that. But he had some really good games as well. I always remember the whole game where he was playing up against Davy Mailer and Seb Larson. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at that when the team sheets come out and think, yeah, that's some challenge. Two really yeah. experienced mm-hmm. lads, and he was excellent that mm-hmm. day. Sunderland won, and Ethan was. And it wasn't just that quality on the ball. He surely snapped into tackles. Yeah. He won second balls. He won fifty fifties. So he's he's got he's got the tools in his locker. Um, I'd like to see him come back in January because I don't see why you wouldn't have a look at yeah. somebody who's got a different profile of what you've got, especially when, frankly, what you've got at the moment isn't really working. Um, but from Ethan's perspective, he is approaching a point where he, he yeah. does need to be playing if he's going to have a really good career so, in the game. So I think if he can, if he stays fit between now and the end of the season, if he does come back in January, you know, squeezes 10-plus games in, they could perhaps look at giving him a, an option of a year, mm-hmm. and plus, say, if he plays 25 games, it, it triggers another yeah. year after that, yeah. do you know what I mean? So it... It works in his favour in a way, if you like, in terms of keeping himself fit. I think he's twenty. Is he twenty three now? I think. I think so. Yeah. Twenty three. Yeah. So as you say, he's at that age. He'll want to be playing regular first team football. I think he he'll probably know and think he's good enough to come and do it at Sunderland now. Certainly at the level they're at now, and and just to again like Denver, kick on, gain confidence, and you only get that by playing more first team games. Yeah, definitely. Time flies when you're having fun. We're already on forty minutes, so we'll have to rush into a look at the Gillingham game. Um, Charlie White is in contention to feature. He's uh, he started training. We talked about Will Grigg earlier and Phil Parkinson's playing style, kind of not lumping it up to the big man, but that's kind of a feature of his play. How crucial could 
Charlie White coming back into the team B? Is, is he the missing ingredient? Obviously, we don't know how fit he is yet, but could he be the, the key man? Well, I think um, I think he'll help, certainly, especially if, if you're going to be a team that, that tries to go back to front quite quickly. What I would say is, though, something we alluded to before, there's no point having playing to a target man who'll win your headers if you aren't getting people around right. them. Um, just because you have someone who's going to win those win those balls it's not going to make any difference unless you've got people feeding off that service. So that's one thing I would add as a caveat. And also, you know, when I, we mentioned before, looking at the numbers, it, it's interesting to me that it's not like Sunderland now are putting loads more crosses into the box. No. They're not. It's There's been next to no change. So it's not like we're in a position where Sunderland are putting really good crosses into the box or are putting really good long passes in for a striker who would thrive on that. They still need to improve that side of the game. So I don't think there's any doubt that Charlie will help and I think Charlie will come back into the team I would like to think feeling pretty confident because he knows it's a manager who's tried to sign him in the past mm. the day he came in he put him straight in the team and basically said you know, yeah. I, w- I want you to go and take the shirt um, so hopefully he'll come into the team thinking this is a big opportunity for me mm. to really kind of grasp it um, but I would add the caveat that it's only going to make a difference if this, they get people around him if they get more crosses into the box if they start fulfilling what the manager said he was going to do when he came in in that sense and also if, if he gets those people around him because like I said it's, it's pointless having a, a good a good target man flick, if he's isolated onto himself. exactly, exactly. Yeah. you know he's not going to flick it yeah. on himself and then burn the defender yeah. is he so um, I think it will it will help and like I say hopefully Charlie will come into the team feeling in a good place knowing he's got a manager who really wants him to succeed and wants to give him that opportunity hopefully that will really help Charlie but I would add the caveat that unless the general play improves it's, it's certainly I in my opinion, anyway, it's not going to transform the team. Would you agree, Danny? Yeah, to a certain extent. I think you need to, um, if you're playing one up there, well, if you're playing a 4 3 3, if it's McGeady or Christian Maguire or, or what more, they need to be getting in and around him, gambling off his flick ons. And, and, you know, if the balls are coming into his chest, someone coming and playing off the two midfielders, pushing on and, and linking up with him and taking the ball off his chest. Because I have watched games where he's played earlier this season. He's done well, in, I think Rochdale away, he done quite well in the Wimbledon game at home. He, you know, he bullied the centre half, so he's got it in him. But you need to get the the bodies in and around him and, and to help him out. There's times where I've watched games as well where he's been 30, 40 yards isolated on his own, as Will Grigg has been of late. Um, so yeah, so they need, whether he plays, whether he starts, or I just think get bodies in and around him, and you know they'll cause the opposition problems. And just on a, a personal note, you're finished with Grimsby at the end of last season. How's uh, how's retirement treating you? <laughs> are we officially retired yet? Uh, yeah, I'd say so now, mate. Yeah, I, was, I, I didn't say in the summer because maybe I'll, that can be an, our exclusive. Danny Collins announces <laughs> retirement yeah. on Raw podcast. I, I was weighing things up, you know. I say I've been back and two to Grimsby the last three years, um, staying down there three nights a week, and my little boys are getting older, so they were getting a bit sick of me being away. And I've just obviously settled back up in the area and. Um, you know, started up a bit of coaching last week, looking at getting full time into coaching work and enjoying a bit of media stuff as well. So yeah. different avenues, and uh, we'll see where we go. Work with uh, Barnsley on the on the Beeb. Must must be. Yeah, right. done a bit of that. Total Sport and BBC Newcastle and and stuff, and um, obviously popping in with you guys. And you know, I don't I don't mind it. Yeah, it's good. Happy days, happy days. Well, that brings uh, the end to another Raw podcast. Just a quick bit of housekeeping. Um, Duncan Watmore and his family donated one thousand pounds to the Sutherland Community Soup Kitchen. Um, after a group of Black Cats fans banded together to raise over 6,000 for those in need this Christmas, so well done to Roker Report. There's details of how you can donate to that on the Sunderland Echo website and the RokerReport.com website. Um, a nice little heartwarming story before Christmas, Phil. Yeah, it's fan- fantastic ever. I think um, 
you know it's always it's always been a club that's come together this time of year I remember the, the gift of football last year was an incredible thing that they're doing again this year and yeah massive credit to to the to Roker Report and, and Duncan it's a, it's a fantastic gesture for for a brilliant cause so um, fair fair play at them and uh, we, we wish them all the best with their efforts between now and Christmas definitely thanks for joining us Danny okay I've enjoyed it thanks very much cheers Phil and you can listen to us on all the normal podcast places Spotify Acast and iTunes thanks once again for listening 